In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, I think you asked me to speak about uh, moral uh, relativism. Uh, and actually, in this age, we have lost confidence that statements of fact can ever be anything more just opinions. When you say this is a fact, people will tell you it's your opinion. What you believe is true is true for you, not necessarily truth for me. So the word truth now means true for me only. And whether we realize it or not, this concept, moral relativism, is actually is around us everywhere. I can say it is the air that we breathe or the background noise in our culture today. And now, the real heresy, if you say to somebody, you're wrong. If you say transgenderism is wrong, then you are heretical. And now, the word that replaced truth is tolerance. Tolerance became the ultimate virtue in this age, not the truth. According to Barna Research Group, 81% of young Americans have adopted a view that all truth is relative to the individual and his or her circumstances. All truth is relative. So, what is the definition of moral relativism? Moral relativism suggests that when it comes to moral issues, there are no universally objective right or wrong answers. So morals are just relative. What is acceptable in certain culture, maybe in another culture, is not acceptable. So when it comes to morality, only subjective opinion exists, which are no different from one's feeling about a favorite football team or ice cream flavor. You prefer this ice cream flavor, you prefer this football game. So, in morality, I prefer this, I prefer that, and that's it. So, it is up to the individual, up to the subject that we said is subjective, to decide. Morality is not objective. That's not what I believe in. That's what actually the definition of moral relativism. It is not objective. It is an individual matter. Moral truth depends on the individual. 
And when morality is reduced to your personal taste, people exchange the moral question, what is good? To the pleasure question, what feels good? If it feels good, do it. And I'm, I, I'm sure you saw motives like this. No, if it is good, do it. No, if it feels good, do it. So, before when we believed in absolute truth and absolute moral code, actually, morality was constraining pleasure. What do I mean? I want to do this. But I really should not do it. And I should restrain myself or constrain myself from doing it because it is wrong. Youth may say, I want to have premarital sex. It it, it feels good. But no, we should not do it. It is wrong. But now, if it feels good, do it. Because there is no right or wrong. So now, what defines morality? Pleasure. There is no code. I want to do that. And it feels good. So I will find a way to rationalize it to myself, to justify it to myself. For example, very respectful airlines, when you go and book your ticket, they will give you four options. Male, female, uh, undisclosed, and unspecified. I'm sure they rationalize it this to themselves. I, I, I don't understand. And every time I book a ticket and I see this, I struggle. What does it mean? What if the person sitting next to me unspecified? What does this mean to me? Or undisclosed? How I deal with him? Or with her? I don't know if I can call him or her. And, and you have these options. And there are two kinds of relativism. Cultural relativism and individual relativism. Cultural means each culture has a different morality. For example, in America, our morality can be totally different than Mexico, totally different than Egypt, totally different than Ethiopia, totally different than uh, Korea, etc. So, None is justified in claiming that its own brand of morality is correct. So I cannot say the morality, the moral code in America is better than in Egypt. Or the moral code in Egypt is better than Mexico. We cannot say this. So it's relative to each culture. And all people who live in the same culture should act within the boundaries of their cultural code. For example, 
here in America, if you harass a minor, it's a crime. But if you kill an embryo, nothing wrong with it. I'm speaking about abortion. And you can see the, the contradiction here. And I think some of the leaders of the church, uh, of the country right now, justify full term abortion. Full term abortion. How, how can you say if you abuse a child is a crime, but to kill an infant is not a crime? But unfortunately, that's our moral code here. The second type, as the first type, is cultural relativism. Second is individual relativism. So individual preference offers the only guidelines to behavior, what I prefer. Morality is private. Each person acts as his conscience dictates. In Judges, Book of Judges, chapter 17, and verse 6, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That is the individual relativism. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We are living this time right now. What are the roots of moral relativism? There are many roots. Like the information explosion. Now, information is around you everywhere, in infinite information. And this actually made the absolute or universal knowledge is impossible. About anything, for example, for example, with, with COVID, you have researchers say something and researchers say the opposite. And until now, no one knows the truth about COVID. And on the internet, you can find so many researches against each other. Researches support vaccination, researches against vaccination. Researches support lockdown, researches support no lockdown. Researches says you will be contagious for 14 days, research says you will be contagious for five days. Very conf- yeah, confusion. So, with all this information, it's difficult to render what's absolute or universal. Another route is the claim to objective, absolute, universal knowledge. They say it leads to intolerance. Because everyone will stick to what believes is true. 
But so if, if we adopt the idea of relativism, then we can be tolerant to each other. Number three, the sincerity of religious believers means they cannot be wrong. And we can see, for example, how people from each religion, either Christian or Muslim or Buddhist, they believe they are absolutely uh, right. But if we say we all one, and if Christianity is true to you, doesn't mean true to me. If Islam is true to you, doesn't mean it's true to me. Then we can tolerate each other. Also, people who support human rights and individual rights say, I can determine my own truth. So if I believe that I am, my gender is female, it's, it's my right. Don't tell me you're wrong. Another root, humility requires relativism. That's what they say. Otherwise, dogmatism actually will be uh, the, the, the root of, of, of the people or what they believe. So basically they are saying it is better to believe in relativism in order to, to, to tolerate one another. That is the, the root of moral relativism. But I want to ask a question. Can a culture, a culture or individual define morality? Can a culture define a morality? Actually, when you see different cultures, different cultures, and you see the wide variation in moral practices, this indicates broad diversity of in values. What certain culture considered good or right in, in the other culture is considered wrong. But if actually you look very, very carefully about the variance or the diversity in values, you will find that the diversity not in values, but the diversity in the perception of the facts around a certain situation. I will explain what I mean. When we discuss values, I think all the cultures will have consensus about what's right and what's wrong. But the, the difference is around the fact in a certain situation. Let me give you two examples to understand what I mean by this. For example, the dispute over abortion. The conflict 
is not about the human, the life of human person is valuable or not. People who support abortion and people who are against abortion, both of them, they say human life is valuable. So here there is no conflict about the value. But the conflict about what? About unborn child is a human or not? So those who support abortion, they don't say human life is not valuable. But they will say unborn child is not a human being. That's how they rationalize it to themselves. So facts are descriptive. What is the case? This unborn child, is he a human being or not? But values are prescriptive. What ought to be the case? Human life is valuable. So in the situation of abortion, the conflict is about the facts, not about the values. Another example, the murder of innocent people. Any culture will tell you murder of innocent people is wrong in any time of history or in any culture. Even Hitler agreed with this value that murder of innocent people is wrong. But how Hitler rationalized it to himself? Actually, he said, these people are not human. Or literally, he said, they are subhuman. Subhuman. So he justified his killing because he considered them subhuman. Of course, those who say unborn child is not a human is wrong. And those who say people, some of them are human and some of them are subhuman, that's wrong. But as I told you, some people, they try to find a way to justify and to rationalize to themselves their behavior. That's why morality driven by by culture fails. Morality driven by culture fails. Why it fails? Because if different cultures differ radically in their basic moral beliefs, then it only shows that there are different opinions, but no opinion is correct. And if we believe in this, I cannot say, for example, if there is a country persecuting the minorities or treating them differently, can you tell them it is wrong? You cannot tell them it's it's just relative. For, For them, 
the moral, if the moral law is defined by culture, you cannot say to a country persecuting the minorities, you're wrong. Because if the society is the final measure of morality, then all its judgments are moral by definition. Because we said the morality is defined by the society, by the culture. So it makes it impossible to criticize another society's practice. Because no external standard by which this society is judged. No country can say to another country, what you are doing is wrong. And also, there will be no place for moral reformation. Martin Luther King would not be able to reform this country and to fight for equality because the, the, the moral code is defined by the country here. So, it is impossible, if you believe in cultural relativism, it would be impossible to practice moral reformation. Because if the society's law and cultural values are the ultimate standards of behavior, then the notion of moral improvement is nonsense. And a social code cannot be improved. If the cultural values are the highest possible law, then there is no way for those standards to be better than what they are at any given time. Just they are different. But this is not better than before. So, why we don't believe in moral relativism? Because this cannot accuse others of wrongdoing. Relativism makes it impossible to criticize the behavior of others because relativism ultimately denies such a thing as wrongdoing. And the funny thing is, those who defend and believe in moral relativism, when it comes to their own best interest, they deny it. For example, Go and hit one of these moral relativism. Slap him on his face. I don't want you to do it, but just for the argument. He will be very angry. But if you tell him, my moral code says it's right, would he accept it? The fact he doesn't accept it, this again is a moral relativism. Can you argue with him? My moral code tell me it's nothing wrong to slap in your face. Would anybody accept from the moral relativism? No, no one will accept. 
So when right or wrong are a matter of personal choice, we surrender the privilege of making moral judgment on others' action ever again. I cannot tell you your action is wrong. You are hurting the society. But if we are sure that something must be wrong and some judgment against another conduct are justified, then relativism must be false. Another reason why we don't believe in moral relativism. Because relativists cannot complain about the problem of evil. Relativism is inconsistent with the the concept that true moral evil exists. For moral evil to exist, then there must be something that are objectively wrong. But they say there is nothing objectively wrong. So evil as a value judgment marks departure from some standard of moral perfection. If we say evil is wrong, then there has to be some standard of moral perfection. If you depart from this moral perfection, then that's evil. But if there is no standard, then there is no departure. Then there is no evil. I, I, I cannot say hitting somebody is evil. Why, why, how you define it's evil? What's your standard to define that if you hit somebody is evil? Is it cultural? Is it individual? Is it uh, code? What is the code you are using here? Also, the third reason why we don't believe in relativism, because with relativism, we cannot place either blame or praise. You cannot blame or praise. Because now the concept of praising or blaming is meaningless. Because there is no external standard of measurement to define what should be praised or what should be condemned. Without absolute, there is nothing bad and there is nothing tragic or worthy of blame. Also, there is nothing good or honorable or noble or worthy of praise. And the last reason why we don't believe in moral relativism Because with moral relativism, we cannot claim anything to be unfair or unjust. These words, unfair or unjust, will have no meaning. Because these concepts dictate that people should receive equal treatment based on an external standard, which is right. But if there is no external standard, then, according to the relativist, then the notion of justice and fairness make no sense. But if we still believe there is something called justice and fairness, 
then the relativism falls. So to summarize what I said, we used words like even, praise, blame, justice, fairness, moral improvement, tolerance, and all these words depend on some objective external moral standard. Otherwise, all these words will be meaningless. I want you to imagine what kind of world would it be if relativism is true. The world will be this world, nothing in this world, nothing is wrong. Nothing is evil, nothing is good. Nothing is worthy of praise. Nothing is worthy of blame. There is no justice or fairness in this world because these two words will be meaningless. There is no accountability. You cannot hold anybody accountable. There is no possibility of moral improvement of any culture. No moral discourse. It would be a world in which there is no tolerance. So moral relativism actually produces this kind of world. Let me, as I told you, the main root of relativism is tolerance. They say absolute moral codes make people intolerant. So I want to address this issue, the issue of tolerance. So people who support relativism because its emphasis on tolerance. So what is the right definition of tolerance? Tolerance means to respect the right of the people that hold the views with which we disagree to respect their opinion. But the new tolerance under moral relativism demand that we accept there are many different truths or opinions. There is difference between I understand that this is your opinion but it's not true but I respect it. And there is difference between I accept your opinion as true. Tolerance should be applied to the people, not to their ideas or behavior. Tolerating people should be distinguished from tolerating ideas or behavior. So there is difference between to tolerate people and to tolerate wrong behavior or 
or wrong idea. Our definition of tolerance that all views, all opinions should get an equal hearing and consideration but not all views have equal worth or merit or truth. So if you have an opinion, your opinion must be heard and considered. But I cannot say all opinions are true and they have the equal merit or worth. People can believe whatever they like. And also they should have the liberty to express these beliefs. But they may not behave as they like. If their behavior is wrong, then they should not behave this way. Behavior is considered immoral and is considered a threat to the common good. If it is a threat to the common good, therefore it should not be tolerated but restricted. For example, if somebody believes, as I give you example, Nothing wrong in, in, in premarital sex. And he comes and he wants to express his opinion and to say why he believes that premarital sex, nothing wrong with it. The person should be respected, should listen to him, give him the liberty and freedom to express his opinion. But at the end, the, the behavior should not be tolerated because it is a threat to the common good of the society. And many, many cultures, especially the Christian culture, promoted tolerance of all people but not all behavior. But this is not the situation right now. There is difference between to tolerate people or to tolerate behaviors. So we can say relativism destroys the conscience. Because my conscience, which actually rebuke me or convict me this is right or wrong. Now there is nothing called right or wrong. Relativism provides no moral impulse to improve, even on the individual level. I, I see taking drugs or doing drugs, nothing wrong with it. So there is no, no place for improvement. And relativism is self-centered. Doing our own thing is fine for us. But we don't want others to be relativists. So, if you go to one of these relativists and tell them you're wrong, then actually he will attack you. Why I don't have 
why I don't have the liberty to express my opinion. So although they call, they are to, uh, call themselves tolerant, but they don't tolerate a person who defends absolute uh, moral code. They don't, defend, they, they don't tolerate him. Like right now, they don't tolerate uh, Christianity. I'm sure you heard in the news last week about the satanic club after school, I think in Illinois. Go and ask for a Christian club, they will tell you no. But to have a satanic club, it is approved. So what about the external, if we speak about absolute morality? What's absolute morality? And where we can find God in morality? What is the relation between God and morality? Moral rules are not physical in nature. Meaning, you cannot discover the moral rules with your five senses. But you discover the moral rules by process of thought, reflection, introspection. That's how can you find the moral uh, rules. Also, the moral rules, I'm speaking about the absolute morals, there is a kind of communication. They are propositions, intelligent statement of meaning, conveyed from one mind to another mind. Like parents teach their children, this is wrong. Don't do this. So it is communicated from one mind to another mind. And these propositions take a form of command. You shall not do. Thou shall not murder. Thou shall not commit adultery. So a command makes sense only when there are two minds involved. One giving the command and one receiving the command. So with this observation, there has to be a personal God who provides absolute standards of goodness. who offer the best explanation for the existence of morality. So if we don't believe in a personal God who can communicate with us, but if we believed in impersonal force, natural or physical force behind the existence of the world, This impersonal force will not be able to form a moral rule. Cannot actually make a proposition or a command. Because proposition and command are features of the mind. So impersonal force ruling the world cannot offer 
a moral code, because moral code needs proposition and command. And these two things are the faculty of mind. So to have, yeah, in this lecture actually, we proved that moral, uh, relative, moral relativism fails. So now we came to the conclusion of there has to be absolute moral code. Absolute moral code, then there has to be a person who said the proposition and the command. So absolute moral code suggests a moral lawgiver. His law are a communication of his desire. And he expects that we should obey this code for our goodness. Also, with the command and moral code, there is what we call ethical pain or moral guilt. Since morals are not material principles, but personal commands, then a violation is not just a broken rule, but an offense against the person who made the rule. That's why the ethical pain or the moral guilt makes sense now. You are not just breaking a rule, but you are I have sinned against you. There is offense against the giver of the code. Because some attempt to argue that they don't need God to have morality. They can live a moral life even though they don't believe in God or in a divine being. And they say even an atheist can behave in a way we call it moral. But the question here, if a person who is atheist lives according to moral code, the question, why ought he? Why should he live according to a moral code? In the name of whom? Or what do you ask me to, to behave? Who will define what's right and what's wrong? Why should I go to the inconvenience of denying myself satisfaction I desire? Why? Why I do this? Because some standard that exists only in our imagination, because there is no lawgiver. So these standards are in my imagination. You say this is wrong, somebody say it's right, so I will do what feels good. Why I should follow a certain code? If I don't want this baby, I will kill him. I speak about abortion. What should I 
I worship in fictions that have imposed on me a name of nothing because God does not exist. Uh, I, I, I think yeah, one of the contemporary apologetics, maybe C.S. Lewis, uh, I don't remember, but he said something very nice. Let me share it with you. He said, a moral atheist, a moral atheist, is like a man sitting down to dinner, but he does not believe in farmers, ranchers, fishermen, or cooks. He believes that the food just appears with no explanation and no sufficient cause. So either his meal is an illusion or someone provided. In the same way, if morals really exist, as we argued in this lecture, then some cause adequate to explain the effect must account for the code. And who is the cause? God. God is the most reasonable solution. So actually, we can prove the existence of God just from proving or arguing that moral relativism cannot exist. So in conclusion, morality grounded in God. And this morality explains our hunger for justice. All of us who say it's unfair, this is not just. We need justice to be uh, applied. Morality grounded in God explains our desire for the day of final judgment. When all wrongs are made right, when innocent suffering is finally redeemed, when all the guilty are punished and the righteous are rewarded. Also, morality grounded in God explains our own personal sense of guilt caused by sin. All of us, we feel this ethical pain or, or guilt. We feel guilty because we are guilty. We know deep down inside that we have offended a morally perfect being. God will offended him. This morally perfect being, God, out of his love for us, has given us the ability for restoration and regeneration through repentance. Only if we desire to partake of it. This morally perfect being, God, is none but the Holy Trinity, God the Father and His Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. I hope in this lecture I was able to cover why we don't believe in moral relativism and why we should believe in absolute moral code and believing in absolute moral code should lead to believe in a perfect, in a morally perfect being who gave us this code and this being is God. Glory be to him.
forever and ever. Amen.